son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I am so excited to have Ryan Collins back. Welcome. Thank you, Jenny. I'm so excited to be here. It's so cool. We have another podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. You can find it. And it was a phenomenal one that we did probably last year. But since then, we got to meet in person, which was so fun. It was. What a treat. It was awesome. Just last month. So Ryan is the CEO of Bethel School of Technology. And you have got all sorts of things that you've written in national publications, all of these things that are wild and wonderful. What we're going to be talking about today is this new book that you have that just came out this year called The God of Tech, Modern Technology, Its Divine Origin, and Activating the Next Great Movement of God Through Spirit-Led Innovation. Huge congrats. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been wonderful to be able to put it out and just see how it's impacted people and just some of the stories that they've told me. And, you know, you don't have to be in tech to enjoy this book. It really is an inspiring book to activate you to move humanity forward and do good things for humanity. So we're we're really excited about that. Yeah, it's very comprehensive. There is a lot in there. You touch on a lot, and I don't think that there's really any other book out there like it. I know that I've not come across it, but some of these concepts I've talked about with a few other people. So I've talked with Andy Crouch about the singularity and technology moving forward in his latest book. I've talked with this man named Dr. Nicholas Carderis, who wrote two phenomenal books. One is called Glow Kids and one is called Digital Madness. And he walks through some of these topics about how the rich of the rich are trying to extend their lifespan so that they can basically become like a human being 2.0. Yeah. I talked with these other ladies. We talked about transhumanism and they read this article called Good Morning Biodigital, which is like a little bit of a peek into the future about how you might wake up and you've got bots everywhere and some of the things were already happening so that was interesting and then i talked to this lady named maria who works for the center for humane technology but no one that i've talked to is really in the tech world like you are Mm. so you have such good insight it was really interesting to read your book because i read part of the singularity and josh says i can't ask ray to be on the podcast so what i I wouldn't be anyway (laughs) uh i read part of that and i shut it halfway through because I got confused and I didn't understand what I was reading. But you're coming from this perspective of actually being in that world. Mm -hmm. Like you are in the world of coding and cybersecurity and training people for changing their career fields. I mean, this is like a really interesting part that you do that people can listen to in the other podcast that you are helping people career pivot and get really well-paying jobs out of these fairly short programs, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal. So there's that piece of it. But Most of us are not in this world. We're using it, but we're not in it. And your explanations of what is going on is so fascinating. Can we start there? Can we start with a little bit of an overview? There was a sentence in here that says something like that. Like nobody really knows what's going on except for a few people, like the big tech people and nobody else really does. So you're going into Google, you're going into Facebook, you're doing presentations. This is what you do. 
you're the only one I've ever spoken to that's in this world. What's going on there? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I really focus on the why behind the how to activate the next generation to do the how. And I mentioned at the top of our conversation about what are you doing to move humanity forward? And that's actually the working definition of innovation in the tech space, building things to move humanity forward. Now, I'm a Christian. I believe that the true definition of innovation is to move humanity heavenward and to move us back to our point of origin. And so it's really fascinating. When we launched Bethel Tech as the first and only online Christian coding bootcamp in the world, I knew that there'd be churches and ministries that would be cheering us on. But we started getting invited into the largest tech companies in the world. We're three and a half hours east of Silicon Valley, the most influential zip code in the world. And they were inviting us in because they were highly curious about the spiritual component. They were highly curious about the character building skills that we taught in addition to the tech skills. And they were the same type of character skills that they were investing millions of dollars to improve their workplace culture. So we had a seat at the table at places like at the time, Facebook, now Meta. Mm -hmm. We did a panel discussion on the intersection of Christianity and technology at Google's headquarters, met with LinkedIn, Apple, all of the major tech players. And they were very curious about the spiritual component. And I think that's one of the things that people don't understand is that the tech space is actually highly spiritual. I get emails on a regular basis from psychics who are working with the leading tech companies to give them insight on how to um, operate the future and what to go after. And so it's interesting. I wouldn't align with that type of spirituality, but it does show that the tech space is highly interested in spirituality and they're looking for the why. I'll give you an example. So I've had a lot of interaction with a number of scientists that are working with the leading tech companies. And right now, everything that we're talking about is artificial intelligence, right? In, in the news, you hear it everywhere. Yeah. I actually feel like that is the end of one epoch season that we're in in science and technology. And we're about to go into a new epoch that will be marked by quantum computing. And all these companies know this. And so they're hiring the leading quantum physicists and particle physicists in the world to dissect the atom into its smallest parts, because that's how you actually operate quantum computers. You're able to manipulate subatomic particles like an electron and to connect them through phenomena, which is really fascinating um, that scientists would, they don't, they can't understand how you can connect an electron from one spot with another electron from, you know, a thousand miles away. And you can actually teleport or transport information from one to the next because they're entangled. So anyways, not to get too in the weeds on the mechanics of that, I talk about it a lot in the book, mm -hmm. but talking to these individuals in these leading tech companies that are dissecting the atom into its smallest part to achieve quantum supremacy and to build a quantum computer, as they're dissecting the atom in its smallest part, they can't understand how these subatomic particles are acting. The only explanation that they have is that there has to be a guiding force in another universe that is causing these subatomic particles to exist and to operate. And you see, it's interesting, yeah. the rationalization that there has to be a force out there that we don't know of. So science in its purest form is seeking the why. And if you have a curiosity, as a believer and believing that God created the universe, that the more that we study creation, the more it reveals our creator. And so that really is kind of 
the impetus and the theme of this book. And, and whether you're a believer or not, I understand, but I would encourage you just to check it out because it'll cause you to start asking these questions and to start going down this road of let's put aside agenda. The more we explore, I think the more that the truth is revealed to us. And I know, and I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So yeah, that really is kind of the theme of the book. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating book. I stopped reading the singularity when it got to the quantum stuff because I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So I didn't finish the book. And then I read your chapter about it twice. <laughs> and I feel like I have a better understanding. It's super interesting. Like you were able to weave so many things into this book, history of technology. It's a great one for learning. Like you could read it with your kids just to get a sense of what's going on out in the world. One of the things that stuck out with me was this section that said, and it, this is not your words, this is someone else saying this. I think the world is divided into a very small group of people who know what's at stake and the, the vast majority of ordinary people, so that's me, politicians and business people who don't know what's at stake. The usual big tech understands what's at stake. The Chinese government knows what's at stake. We are five to 10 years away from having the technology. It's a race to the button. No country wants to fall behind. So when I read books like yours, I try not to read them out of fear because that does tend to creep in. And I also try and look at it from the perspective of parenting, like a couple things. How should I parent through this? And also fighting the urge to be very overwhelmed with this deep level of knowledge that only a few people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And feeling like, okay, well, I'm behind, so I need to really push my kids that I think kind of comes out. So let's talk about this quantum stuff hmm. because <laughs> here we go. Really from the lens of how I read it. And then I think, how am I supposed to prepare my kids for this world? That's really where I land at the end of it. But you talked about this in the chapter, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, quantum computer, quantum algorithm, quantum spin, quantum entanglement, quantum cryptography, quantum physicists, and then quantum supremacy. That's actually what you just said. Yeah. Do you think that the only time I've heard of this, right? The only time I've read about it is in that singularity book. I've not talked to anyone I know about it. This is the only conversation I've ever had about it. Do you think that most people, your average person has no idea what's going on? Yeah, I, I don't think it's been talked about a lot. It's starting to be talked about more. You're actually seeing it in entertainment. You're seeing the idea of, you know, multiverse theory, things like that. You see that in like in the Marvel movies. I have three daughters, so I haven't really seen the Marvel movies. <laughs> it's like all Hallmark all the time for us. But anyways, I think it is important. It is kind of the the next step. And I think even to go back to what you were quoting you know, the purpose of this book is to actually instill hope. But I think mm -hmm. in order for us to have a hope, we have to understand uh, where we started, where we're at, and that will allow us to know where we're going. And so even the subtitle of the book, um, Modern Technology, Its Divine Origin and Activating the Next Great Movement of God Through Spirit-Led Innovation, I had this thought and uh, I go into it pretty deep in the book, but I felt the Lord say in my heart that he was redeeming the tech space. And that word redeem means regain possession of. So I wanted to know, me having kind of a journalist background, I wanted to know if there was a time in you know recent history where the 
where there was a partnership where there were believers that was setting the foundation for our modern tech space. And there is, and this would be a great opportunity, whether you're a believer or not for a history lesson for your kids, study James Clerk Maxwell, who was a Scottish physicist in the mid 19th century, Michael Faraday, Charlie Babbage, who in 18, in the mid 1800s created the blueprint for our digital computer. He's considered the father of the computer. And they set into motion an epoch in science and technology that you and I are reaping the benefits from 150 years later. And the reason why is they believe that everything that we see or we sense in the physical world is only one part of the equation. There has to be an underlying reality that's causing everything to operate and exist. And they started thinking in the invisible realm. And so Maxwell in particular, he's the one that really was highlighted to me he is the one that discovered that light was an electromagnetic wave and you could transfer, you can manipulate these waves in such a way that you could transfer information from one place to the next. And this is the foundation for what we're doing right now over Zoom, over Wi-Fi, radar, satellite, mobile phones. We stand on the shoulders of Maxwell's discoveries. And then this will lead into quantum here in a second, but post-World War II, probably the greatest American physicist is Richard Feynman. And he's the one that came up with the concept of quantum computing. And he said of Maxwell, 10,000 years from now, mankind will look at Maxwell's discoveries of electromagnetism and electrodynamics as the single most important event of that century. But not a lot of people know who Maxwell is, and yet we're all benefiting from his discoveries and his innovation. So so this is in the book. I want to just interject. Yeah. Like if you're wanting to teach, if you've got upper elementary and higher kids, yeah. the history is all in here. And it was fascinating, Ryan, mm -hmm. because you said that in the book, you're like, well, everyone's heard of Darwin yeah. or everyone's heard of some of these different scientists, but I never heard of Maxwell. So it's interesting. I mean, we are living in this invisible world yeah. and it does cause you, I think, causes me to feel a little shaky yeah. because I'm like, all of these things are happening and I don't really understand them. And I think this is different than a hundred years ago where you could take apart an engine or yeah. you could look at a locomotive and you could understand how even a telephone, a wired telephone, when they used to have the switchers and you would get on, there was like a party line and all that stuff you hear about, that there was a better chance of understanding what was going on and now we're in the spot where we don't really understand it. And so your book lays out a foundation. I've not read another book like it that yeah. you could read as a family that yeah. older kids could understand and you could kind of start to get a foundation for what's happening and where it came from. Yeah, it won't get too technical because that I'm not smart enough for all the technical. <laughs> but isn't but, that the point? It's pretty, yeah. I mean, it definitely helped me understand the quantum yeah. thing better. And I, I'm going to actually go back to the other book I have, yeah. because now I think I have a little bit more basis for understanding that. It definitely opens your eyes to all the things that you don't know. Yeah. I think it is an invitation to explore. And I think mm -hmm. that that is the, that is embedded in our DNA um, as human beings. And the more we explore with a humble posture, with a curious posture, we get revelation. Romans one twenty says that the invisible attributes of the Lord can be clearly seen in his creation. And so that would just be my encouragement to anybody reading this. Like, Go outside and look at the dandelion in your backyard. Like that's not just a weed, <laughs> you know, look at it and look at the intricacy, look at the beauty of that. Like 
it was not the fortuitous concourse of atoms 14 billion years ago. It just does it there is a plan and a purpose for all this. And so as we dive into even kind of the quantum component and and Feynman was the one in that that coined the idea of a quantum computer that simulates nature. Mm. And he has this famous quote, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it in front of me. I, I, I put it in the book that he says, you know, if we're going to build a computer that simulates nature, you know, he said nature isn't classical because he's talking about classical computers. This is in the early 80s that was, a, was about to just completely upend our lives with PCs and then the digital revolution. But he's saying nature isn't classical. And so if we want to create a computer that simulates nature, we have to actually, it's not easy and it's hard, but that's the fun of it. And we need to study and explore this phenomenon of quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is not new. It's been around since the turn of the 19th century, but it's moved at a snail's pace compared to classical computing because it's non-intuitive to the human mind. It makes no sense. The fact that you can have a subatomic particle in two states at once, both a wave and a particle, and that you can put them in a spin state, and that's called superposition. And you can have another subatomic particle in superposition thousands of miles away, and they can be entangled as one. So as I input information on one, it's automatically inputted on the other a thousand miles away. In theory, it moves, transfers information faster than the speed of light because it's not a matter of transferring information, it's a matter of being. And so it really opens up this idea because, you know, as humans, the human body is made up of seven times 10 to the 27th power of atoms. And that doesn't even include subatomic particles. And these atoms are all interconnected to create this beautiful work of art that is the human body and the human mind. This is so fascinating. And so to be able to simulate nature in such a way that you could build a computer, a quantum computer that can transfer information or, or teleport information exponentially faster than our fastest supercomputers today, the possibilities are endless to what we can do. It's exciting, but here's the thing. We have to make sure that to understand that technology is a tool that takes on the function of its user. So if I were to give you a hammer, you could build a house with it, or you could use it as a weapon and crack someone over the head. The choice is yours. And so we have to actually be the ones that are using technology as a tool to help people. And that really is the point of this book. And so whether it's quantum, we just, the thing that we can't have happen, we can't become slaves to the things that we build. And that's the thing that as parents, as humanity, we have to understand that, no, we're actually in control. We're not going to cede our freedom to the whims of an algorithm. And the moment that humanity starts to allow algorithms, tell them who they are, then we're going down a, a path, a, a dark path that we need to get out of quickly. So that would be kind of the scary part. But the point, the beauty of it is, is that the human will, it always wins out, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm excited about that. And I think that as long as people have that right perspective and they're using it for good, then we'll continue to innovate, to move humanity forward or to move, as I believe, humanity heavenward. It's interesting because it makes you think we just have to have a lot of people in this space mm -hmm. so that there are a lot of voices and a lot of thought because that sentence said it's really only a few people that know what's going on mm -hmm. and then those few people are the ones that get to make the decision there was a quote in here also coming from someone else where they said the real question is not if transhuman 
I love this book, Ryan. <laughs> I love it. I'm re I want to read several passages because I was entertained and informed and also just like blown away. The real question is not if transhuman biotech species will replace Homo sapiens within the next 200 years or if it's ethically right or wrong to lead humans down the path. The real question is who controls the data? Yeah. Well, these are big questions and you're talking about tyranny through digital dictatorships, which you're starting to see. Like if you talk about having a number assigned to you, I don't know if that's going, if that's actually going on in China or if just something that they talk about. I've just heard like whispers of it, right? That you have a number assigned to you based off of all these factors. And then that affects how you can interact with society. So you start to see little glimpses of what that maybe would look like digital dictatorship. So what that did to me was it gave me a little empowerment to know more. Mm -hmm. Like I should maybe know a little bit more of what's going on. I should maybe know what is a qubit. <laughs> and now I know what a qubit is, kind of. And to know even that our computers are called classical computers, like we're archaic here. We're moving into something else and that maybe our kids should know a little bit more, a little bit more of what's going on because it's important for a lot of people to be in the conversation. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to 
factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. You've even said with your tech school that there are more job openings than there are candidates. Yeah. You know, we do need to have, we need to know more and ignorance is not bliss and we can't claim ignorance because there's so many opportunities to actually learn. Mm -hmm. And even, I know I keep talking about fame and he's a hero of mine. And so I would, you know, I would encourage people to, to research Feynman. He was phenomenal. He has a book uh, out. It was back in 1985. I think it, it, the title is You Can't Be Serious, Mr. Feynman. And it's beautiful because he does a great job of, of making it fun, learning these things that are completely non-intuitive to the human mind. But what he says, and we're in good company here, Jenny, he said that if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics. So that's the point of it. But here's the thing that I firmly believe as our generation, one generation's ceiling is the next generation's floor. So how do we set that foundation for the next generation that inspires them to learn and it inspires them to move forward and to help people using the tools that they have at their disposal. And the more they use, the more that they'll continue to innovate and create. And that's, that's really exciting to me. And um, yeah, but I do think it is important that we understand that there is, if we don't stay in front of it, then we basically relinquish power to those who do know it and then they get to call all the shots. And I'm just not okay with, with the idea that we can build biotech algorithms based on the copious amounts of data that we have on each individual that's being collected over the last 30 years and create algorithms that say it basically determine who we are. And that's, that's just not that's anti-human. And so even if we're trying to go transhuman and create this, this superhuman species, it's not really a superhuman species. You have to reframe the narrative in order to create the desired outcome. And I'm, for one, am not okay with having a computer tell me who I am and what I'm going to do in life. It shouldn't be that way. It should actually be the other way around. We should be mm -hmm. telling the computers what needs to be done. So, you mm -hmm. know. It's just fascinating. Like when you live in a world that's surrounded by technology, like we are, you can't really imagine it becoming more technological. And yet it does. Right. And that's, I think that's part of Ray Kurzweil's thing is that the technology is growing at an exponential rate. It's doubling every year. It's never stopped. It hasn't stopped in however many decades. And it doesn't seem like it's going to stop or that there's some ceiling to it. And so you have some really recent statistics in this book, The God of Tech. In 2022, so just last year, IBM built a 433-qubit quantum computer up from 127 qubits in 2021. So let's talk about qubits. Qubits, okay, <laughs> this is so interesting. I'm finally somewhat getting a little bit of a sense. Okay, our, so I think most people would know that the current computer is zero and one, right? This is digital mm -hmm. zero and one. That's a classical computer. Qubits can be zero and one or some combination of both at the same time. Qubits behave in strange ways. Qubits, this was maybe my favorite part, Ryan. Qubits, the, qu <laughs> the quantum state of qubits in superposition and entanglement, which that's explained in the book, is extremely sensitive. 
The smallest disturbance or noise, such as a vibration or a slight change in temperature, can cause the quantum state to disappear. This is called decoherence. Scientists and researchers do their best to reduce noise by housing qubits in supercooled fridges <laughs> at temperatures colder than deep space. <laughs> like, like, wait, I'm like, listen, I'm here, like, you know, just trying to make sure that my macaroni and cheese is not clumpy. Like, this is my life, right? And then I'm like, okay, people are freezing qubits in super cool fridges at temperatures colder than deep space. But the point is, is that these things are volatile qubits. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make it into a computer. And the qubits, because they can be both values, the processing speed is so like insanely faster. Mm -hmm. Like it might take, there was a thing that said, maybe the computer would have taken years to figure it out. And with qubits, they're going to be able to figure it out in seconds or minutes. It's just so exponentially faster. Yeah. Anyway, this is actually here though. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah. So they built the 127 qubit computer in 2021, mm -hmm. the 433 qubit computer last year. Mm -hmm. And they want to have a 4,000 qubit computer by 2025, which that's not very far from now. And that global powers are in a race to achieve quantum supremacy. So what should we be doing? What should we be doing here, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one thing is a great resource for everyone. IBM has these phenomenal videos and they talk about quantum computing and they talk about qubits and, um, you know, semiconductors and these super cooled temperatures. I don't know the link off the top of my head, but there's this wonderful scientist and she talks, she actually talks to an elementary school student, then a, a high school student, then a college student, and then a PhD student in, in um, science. And it is a wonderful resource for you to get a better understanding. And my hope is that it'll spark something. It'll spark a curiosity in your children's heart to learn more. And that's what IBM wants too. They know that a hundred years from now, this is all going to look archaic. But they're they're doing really phenomenal things, and one of the big parts of this is that quantum represents an un, you know potentially unhackable cybersecurity because any noise, any decoherent, it actually breaks the connection, and it, you can see where someone's trying to come in and hack, and so then you create a new key, a token. It's fascinating, and the other part of it too is that scientists believe that because of the amount of data that we're going to be able to compute and contextualize in the blink of an eye or in seconds that we'll be able to understand in like real time, construct a, like a protein molecule of a, of a, a cancer cell and be able to customize cures to previously incurable diseases. So I think this is awesome. I think that's what it looks like to use tech for good. If we can spark that curiosity in the next generation with the understanding of we want to move humanity forward and help people, then I think that we're going down a good path. But if we're going to be okay with us saying, all right, computers, tell us who we are and what we're going to do, then that idea of singularity, even though I don't think singularity is going to happen, I think that it becomes more of a risk because we've allowed the computers to run our lives. And, and that's where I think the whole discussion of artificial general intelligence comes in. And, but I do think that 
it still does require inputs from humans to input the data and to be able to create the parameters of what it can learn. Eventually, it has so much information that it gets very sophisticated in putting out potential outcomes and and solutions. Um, but I would say that IBM um, tutorial, those videos, they are phenomenal. Um, and they were, I think they were filmed a few years ago. So they might put out new ones in the near future because this is a constantly evolving knowledge base for us. Wow. Yeah. What your book did for me, as opposed to the other book that I read, was instead of sort of shutting it down in my mind and I got lost, this was more of a, okay, I'm pretty fascinated. Like, what in the world is this? How, what is colder than deep space even mean? What, how cold is that? And yeah. it does lead you to this better understanding. And it's interesting when you said, we're going to look back and it's going to seem archaic. Like I read in this book, Humans Need Not Apply by Jerry Kaplan. He talks about how like that first Apple computer, like the Apple II or whatever, it could hold something like 16 seconds of music. And then I don't know what the ex actual numbers are. But then our current phone could hold years or centuries worth of music and at a way lower price. Mm -hmm. So this is going to change fast. If they already have these quantum computers out there and they're trying to make them commercialized, right? It says yeah. the White House issued a national security memo to advance quantum technologies in May of 2022. This is so current. Yeah. Experts believe we are anywhere from five to 10 years to decades away from quantum computing becoming mainstream and there is a race to build a working commercialized quantum computer. And we've seen this in our own lifetime. Mm -hmm. We yep. had a computer, Ryan, that had like four or six gigabytes. Yeah. We owned one of those. Yeah. And it felt amazing. And everybody mm -hmm. in our family, my mom didn't use it. So it was like everybody got one gigabyte to use. And then it was like, you know, you're like elbowing your brother. if He took over more for his video game. And then you're like, well, what the heck? I need it for mine. And then, you know, my phone's got, I don't know what it's got on it, a terabyte? I don't even know what that yeah, means. So, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's cheaper yes. and it's smaller. Yeah. So it's like we've seen it and it's even going faster now. So I don't know. I don't even know what to take from it except that I'm glad to know. I want my kids to know. And I want to be a part of the conversation as much as possible. And like you're saying, you want the church to be a part of the conversation. Like yeah. people should be a part of the conversation because if data is this super valuable thing now, which mm -hmm. is so bizarre that data is this most valuable thing, I'm thinking like, well, what about, you know, the handcrafted table with the raw edge? I mean, that seems valuable too. Yeah. And we have to be also the ones that I think assign value to things because other things are valuable as well, right? Our relationships and people and yeah. experiences. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Great book. The God of Tech. Okay. One of the things you're talking here that I loved is about being a chaos pilot. Yeah. yeah. And it fit. There was so much in this book. There's a lot of layers. Mm -hmm. There is the Christianity part. There's ethic parts. There's explanation parts. There's mm -hmm. the historical part. You talk about your own life in here and your struggles and you know the careers that you've gone through to get to this point there's a lot in here but it all fits together yeah which i love so this is feels chaotic <laughs> and you talk about becoming a chaos pilot tell us about that yeah so i think you know what the book does is it shifts from where we've been and where we're at and then the second part of it really is an activation on you know how can we be innovative? 
And so I outline, I think it's chapter seven, the moonshot factory. And that is Google X, which is Google's innovation lab. They affectionately call their innovation lab a moonshot factory. And this came from um, President Kennedy's famous speech in 1962 at Rice University. It said, by the end of the decade, we will put man on the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And so the idea of a moonshot idea to do something that seems impossible, but in order to do the impossible, you have to actually go after the impossible. And so that's the whole spirit of innovation. I basically create 10 core values of being a moonshot thinker. Uh, and one of those is being a chaos pilot. You know, as a pioneer, you're creating the path for others to follow. And so whenever you're a trailblazer, a pioneer, think about the great pioneers of the frontier, like Lewis and Clark, like they had to encounter new things as they went. They didn't know what the path looks like. Each step, they were creating the new path. And I like to use an illustration of Google Maps. So if you've ever, you know, you type in your home address at Google on Google Maps, you can plug it in. It'll give you directions right to your home. But have you ever tried to type in the address for a property that you wanted to go look at that there hasn't been a home built on it yet? A lot of times it'll get you close, but it actually won't get you there. Until you build that home and you register its address in the postal service, then the, in the database, then it has a better understanding. As a chaos pilot, as a moonshot thinker, you're creating the path for others to follow. And you have to be okay that there's going to be a lot of chaos and it might be a prolonged season of chaos because you're doing things that have never been done. You're creating the standard. And so it's not for the faint of heart, but it's super fun. And so that's something that is really important. I know many innovators in the space, they have that pioneering spirit. They understand that chaos is not something that um, is, they, they're not worried that chaos is going to derail them. Actually, they feed off the idea of being able to conquer and overcome. And so that's one big character trait of being a moonshot thinker and a, a trailblazer in anything that you do, whether it's in tech. I mean, you can innovate in anything. And if it's in, you know, if it's woodworking, if it's education, if it's sports, if it's tech, you know, that is a character trait that crosses and is all encompassing. It's a little overwhelming too. <laughs> well, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, because you have this sentence in there about disrupted companies like AOL and Yahoo mm -hmm. were once the disruptors. Okay. Like MySpace, right? Yeah. And they have all Hotmail. I mean, we all know them. We know the ones that aren't here anymore. Yeah. And then we know the ones that have stayed. So you have this great sentence, great question, really. What would Amazon be if it never expanded beyond an online bookstore? What if Google was only a search engine? So it just reveals that we live in a time when we kind of have to be on our toes. Yeah. And I feel like that as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you do too, starting Bethel Tech. It's been around since 2018. And all. so you're, <laughs> here you are running a tech school and tech is changing constantly. I mean, one of the things you do is cybersecurity. Yeah. And then when you talk about the keys, I'm like, what is this, like yeah. Zelda? Like what exactly is happening <laughs> here? You know, that you also have to really be on your toes. And I look at that. I even feel that way with social media. I mean, it's just constantly changing. And they say like, you can't, every company is a tech company, mm -hmm. right? Every company is a tech company. You cannot be a company and not have a technology, some sort of technology component to your company. And so then I think, like, I don't really want to do this. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. I mean, you, you kind of have to be. Yeah. I guess it takes me back to this way that we parent our children and having a pretty good understanding of the world that we live in and how fast that it's changing and that old methods of education, just like how these classical computers are going to become archaic, just like how the Apple II is archaic, just like how Amazon doesn't just sell books anymore, our kids are going to kind of have to be on their toes. And yeah. it takes me back to a lot of the parenting principles of giving kids opportunities to form their own constructs and have some of their own time in order to become an adaptable person that is willing to take risks. Yeah. I love that. And parenting is a great illustration because if you're a parent, you know, you're, you're constantly a chaos pilot. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You know, I think that, and the point is, is that you can't just rest on your laurels. You can't say, okay, I've come up with the solution and I'm just going to sit on that. You have to constantly be thinking ahead and be thinking, and that's the, that's the hallmark of a really great innovator in the tech space. And they're, they're constantly thinking of what's next and coming up with ideas. It's why their companies end up being great. But as a parent too, like, you know, if you have a 10 year old and you're like, okay, I, you know, help them overcome their fear of heights or something. It's like, no, you don't just stop there. I'm like, I did it. We're done. No, there's, there's, oh, you're always Finished. having to tackle on the, the opportunities and come up with solutions. And so that's really exciting. And then the other part of that to be able to instill that curiosity and that sense of exploration for our kids. And that doesn't have to be on a computer screen. So let me just be frank. That can be going in the woods. Right. That can be looking for, that can be going to the beach. That can be like, that's actually the thing that I would recommend you do for your kids is to allow them to explore. Out of that, it'll instill a sense of wonderment in them and uh, creativity. And then that's where innovation happens. Innovation is just the manifestation of creativity. As a parent, that's what we love to do for our kids as well. And and who knows what that will lead to. Uh, you could have the next Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? Well, you have to lay the foundation. I think mm -hmm. that is kind of what some of these parenting books are talking about, like the newer ones, which is that if you're, if you, I mean, I just don't love it. If you, <laughs> cause you could get yeah. disrupted. Yeah. It's definitely tricky. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a, a tricky, different, maybe tricky is the wrong word. It's a different type of world that our kids are stepping into. Whereas before people would be like a farmer for their whole life or a shepherd for their whole life or whatever the thing is. They worked at Ford for their whole life. And now it's like, I don't know, you could work for some company that gets disrupted by some other company and you just have to be on your toes. So yeah. there's a lot to think about in this one. You talked about Xerox, how Xerox is still around and they still sell copiers, but they could have been Apple, but they just didn't go for it. And so, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, I, I feel like there's, I really believe that there's, you know, each person was put on this earth for a plan and a purpose. And, you know, my whole philosophy is one, to love God and two, to serve others. What can I do to help humanity? And if you come from that perspective, you can look around and see a lot of things that need solutions. And even with Google X, with the Moonshot Factory, basically their whole premise is we create radical solutions to solve some of the world's hardest problems. And I love that. We should all be thinking that way. And it's amazing what you can discover and what you can create 
when you look to be the uh, solution to someone's problem. If we have that mindset, humanity is going to be just fine. We have to look out for our brothers and sisters, and we have to build things that are going to um, help them and create legacy and create a future for them and their kids and their kids' kids and our kids. So that's the spirit of innovation that I absolutely love. And again, that can you can use tech as part of that, or, or it could be a new technology that you create. But any anything that you're here and you're doing, you feel a passion for. Like I wouldn't dismiss it. And the other part of that too. And I love this is that I firmly believe that the greatest innovators, one, they function in the realm of the impossible, but two, they never really lose their childlike wonderment. So think about when you're a kid, you're seven years old and you're playing out in your backyard and you're standing on top of the picnic table and you've got your arms out and it's windy and you feel like you're flying. And then somewhere along the line, I mean, you're in your, you're like, I can fly. And somewhere down the line, you're told, no, you can't actually fly. And then you, you, you say you can't fly. Well, then you stop that childlike wonderment. But the the greatest innovators, the the Wright brothers, um, Henry Ford, all of these great innovators, they never lost that childlike wonderment. And I think as parents and as teachers, the best thing that we can do is to encourage and celebrate that. And I think that is one of the tenets of education that needs to be brought back into our system, that we're not just teaching people, we're not teaching our kids to memorize information, but we are instilling a spirit of wonderment and curiosity, and that will lead to create uh, uh, critical thinking and creativity. And I'm excited. And if they do that from a perspective of not just wanting to help themselves, but to help others, I think the world's going to be in a really good spot. And um, yep. So that's, uh, that's well, you read this book and you're like, memorize is not going to work. Yeah, that's not going to work because of you're going to get disrupted <laughs> yeah. and you're just yeah. going to, you know, become archaic. So yeah. it's definitely eye-opening to see how fast this technology world is moving. And like you said, not everyone's going to play a role in the actual technology, but our world is moving pretty fast. And so this critical thinking component and the creativity is definitely important for today's kids. That is for sure. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy, is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day 
every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Let's hit one more topic. Okay. Because within all of this, all of these things that are in this book, you also walk us through your life and really hard spots. I was a shell of who I was supposed to be. I was a freaking mess. I was terrified. Uh, You had a sales job and you hated sales. You know, you had a a big loss, the Ponzi scheme. I was completely worthless. And yet you landed here. Yeah. Yeah. We met you at a coffee shop and your wife has a book out and, you know, you've got a book out. And it's just this message that not all is lost and that along the way, different things happen. And you, along the way, found yourself in this spot where you're realizing that education can really change people's lives in terms of their story and their earning capacity yeah. and their whole family. Yeah. So just walk us through a little bit, yeah. just at a high level of your yeah. story. Yeah, and so that's chapter nine in the book. And and you know, shortly after my wife, my wife and I have been married 18 years. She's my best friend. We have three daughters and um, and you know, I wanted to, to bring in a steady income and, uh, I was working, you know, I was working, I got into higher ed out of necessity cause I needed a, a more consistent paycheck. I was a writer before that. And, and anyways, we had a little bit of debt. We were getting into our first home and we had our first uh, child on the way. And, um, I wanted to, to clear that debt. And we had some friends that were investing in real estate. It seemed like a really good deal. It was quick turnaround, like three months. And so we invested into um, a real estate deal. And I didn't know anything about real estate at that time. And so, I mean, I'm I'm a huge proponent of investing, but you need to invest in something that you have an idea about. And uh, anyways, we invested and it was in two around the time 2007 going into 2008 right when the housing market crashed and and um but on top of that it was a ponzi scheme and it felt like we were probably the last one in <laughs> and anyways we and we didn't fund the investment with cash we funded it by taking out lines of credit so what little debt we had snowballed into this massive amount of debt and i couldn't we couldn't pay our bills and we were going to get foreclosed on I was working multiple jobs. My wife was working jobs. And then um, I was really upset. And, you know, but the the reality is, is I tried to take it into my own hands and I made a decision based off of fear. Fear is is not a great guide. (laughs) Um, And uh, anyways, I ended up getting, I would work my nine to five job. And then I ended up getting a job cleaning daycare centers at night. We were in Dallas, Texas at the time. 
I was working from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. my day job and then 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. cleaning two daycare centers. Wow. And that was rough. And I was I was mad. And this is the part I can only share my story, right? Okay. So again, you're not going to get away from the fact that this is a Christian book. My story with the Lord, I was mad at God for letting this happen to me. And I'm literally at three o'clock in the morning, I am carrying about 25 pounds of dirty diapers out to this dumpster. And I just yelled out, God, how could you let this happen to me? I was just trying to do something good for my family. I wasn't trying to buy a Ferrari. And he spoke to me. He said, I didn't want any of this to happen to you. But if you'll trust me and you'll walk with me, not only will I get you through this, what was meant for harm, I will use for good. And it was in those times where I found the Lord and it became paramount to everything that I do. And he did bring us out. And it was a miracle, Jenny. Like he brought us out of financial despair where we should have filed for bankruptcy. We actually met with a bankruptcy attorney and he said, "You, you need to file bankruptcy. And it would have made sense. And I'm not against bankruptcy. I think that's a really good option for a lot of people, but it didn't feel right to us. And so from there, we built a plan, but the Lord gave me an idea in my current job that allowed me to increase my um, salary quite a bit to get to where we could pay all of our bills and then pay off our debt and start saving up. And it started me on this journey in higher ed and not to take this, this story too long, but it really... If I look back, what he was doing to me in that moment, he was simultaneously doing for me 15, 10, you know, 12 years later in starting me down this path to create Bethel Tech. And all the details are in the book. Again, it, it's a it's a long story, but it's a good story. And I think everyone has those times in their life where they feel like a failure. Your failures don't define you unless you let them beat you. But if you can learn from them, if you can grow from them, you know, that's actually a hallmark of being a moonshot thinker as well, is that you embrace the the failure learning with failure as a strike through. So I saw, even though the Lord didn't want that to happen, he actually used that as an opportunity for us, one, to get closer and then to set me on this journey in which building I was building something to help a lot of people. And Bethel Tech has helped hundreds of people, uh, you know, the testimonies never get old. And so that that's what I would encourage people to read that and think about those times in your life where, man, maybe there didn't go like the way that you wanted to, but that doesn't have to get you down. Keep going. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. And and that really is the point of this entire book is that purpose Mm -hmm. that we have in our lives. Yeah. And then you have that verse in there that says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Yeah. And he will make your path straight. Jenny, that if I if I wasn't afraid of needles, I would tattoo that uh, on my arm. And that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That word acknowledge is the Hebrew word yada. It's the same word that you'll find in Genesis 4.1 that says, Adam knew Eve and they conceived. Through that intimate relationship as a believer, you conceive ideas as an innovator, spirit-led innovator, um, ideas to solve the world's hardest problems and to move humanity heavenward. So, 
and to solve your own. Yeah. Like when you're in this spot where you feel worthless, when you're a freaking mess, he will make your path yeah. yours straight. Yeah. To straighten yeah. it out. I mean, yeah. what a message of hope, right? To straighten out something that feels like a total mess. Yeah. And it that feels like there's no answer, but it gets straightened out. So Ryan, what a book. Thank you. I've never read one like it. The history, the cubit. Thank Jenny, that means that means the world to me. And you read so much. I can't believe how much you read. And I, it's just so wonderful. I'm so incredibly excited about your new book coming out. But I will say this one more thing. Yeah. I know that there are probably people on here that would not align with the Christian faith. I would encourage you to read the book because it, I do think it will stir a curiosity and it will incite and activate you to do good for humanity. And I don't care about religion. I think religion is a man-made construct. I care about a relationship with my creator. And if you'll just read that knowing that and not having preconceived ideas of, oh, is this guy trying to be dogmatic and trying to push religion down my throat? All I would ask is that you would read it with an open mind and see where that takes you. Yeah. And you just tell your story, yep. like you just said before, and you tell other people's stories too. Yeah. And that is also just a fascinating part. That's kind of near the end people, something comes to them in a dream. I mean, it's, I mean, and that's their story. Yeah. We can't argue with people's stories. So yeah. just a fascinating book, The God of Tech by Ryan Collins. And you can find him at ryancollins.info and also at the What Is podcast, which is in season two. I'll make sure I link to that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jenny. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.